Thank you. Speaker of the National Assembly, Ms. Tandi Modise, Chairperson of the National Council of Provinces, Mr. Amos Masondo, Deputy President David Mabuza, Chief Justice Mukweng Mukweng, and esteemed members of the judiciary, former President Kalema Motlante, former President Thabo Mbeki, former Speaker of the National Assembly, Dr. Frini Jinwala, former Speaker of the National Assembly, Mr. Max Sisulu, former Speaker of the National Assembly, Ms. Balega Mbete, President of the Pan-African Parliament, Mr. Roger Deng, Veterans of the Struggle for Liberation, Dr. Dennis Goldberg, Dr. Andrew Mlangeni, Advocate Priscilla Jana, Ms. Joyce Dipale, Ms. Lillian Kiachile, Ms. Meli Smali Makungo, Ministers and Deputy Ministers, Premiers, and Speakers of Provincial Legislatures, Chairperson of Salga and the Executive Mayors who are with us tonight, Governor of the South African Reserve Bank, Mr. Lesija Kanyaho, Heads of Chapter 9 Institutions, Leaders of Faith-Based Formations, leaders of academic and research institutions, members of the Diplomatic Corps, invited guests, honorable members of the National Assembly and honorable members of the National Council of Provinces and fellow South Africans. I'm grateful to have this opportunity to address you all who are here in the nation. We gather at the start of the sixth democratic parliament exactly 106 years to the day after the Natives Land Act, one of the most devastating acts of dispossession that brought about a lot of pain and indeed humiliation to millions of South Africa came into force on this very day, 106 years ago. We recall the words of Saul Blakey on that tragic day when he said, awakening on Friday morning, June 20th, 1913, the South African native found himself not actually a slave, but a pariah in the land of his birth. Close quotes. Our people suffered gravely and endured untold hardships as a result of the implementation of the Native Land Act. The effect of that law, which was implemented today, 106 years ago, are still present with us today. More than a century after that grave injustice, we are called upon as a nation to forge a South Africa where no person will be a slave or a pariah, only free and equal and respected. We gather here at an extremely difficult and challenging time in the life of our young democracy.
Yet we are also at a moment in our history, a moment that holds great hope and promise. In 25 years of democracy, we've made remarkable progress in building a new nation in which all South Africans have equal rights and broadening opportunities. Over 25 years, we have done much to meet our people's basic needs, to reduce poverty, and to transform a devastated economy that was built to serve the interests of only a few South Africans. Working together, we have laid a firm foundation on which we can build a country in which all may have peace, comfort, and contentment. Yet, we also meet at a time when our country is confronted by enormous and severe challenges. Our economy is not growing at the level that we wanted to grow. In fact, in the last quarter, we had negative growth. Not enough jobs are being created in our country. This is the concern that rises above all others. It affects everyone. It affects every household. It affects you, the young man who lives in Zimthorpe in Soweto, out of school for five years now and still not employed. It impacts on the single mother from Delft here in the Western Cape, whose grant supports not just herself, but her grandchildren as well. It also hurts the worker in Nelson Mandela Bay, who, despite earning a salary, is struggling to make ends meet. It is hard for a young student from Solplaki University in the Northern Cape, who must rely on a thin stipend from his parents to feed himself. The lived reality of our people is just exactly what I've described. But in all this, we have heard our people. Many of us who are representatives elected here spent the better part of the past few months going through the length and the breadth of the country listening to our people. Sibazuile Abantibagiti, Bekulumanati, Singena Sipuma Ezindinizab. Roba Favote, Hote Hote, Era Chimbira Horn, Diamba Nahea Chimbira, Bo Maimani, Hea Chimbira, Bo Julius Malema, Lapo Hambe Corner, O Honorable Butelezi, Nai Uzuil Utabantibati, where Mr. Hrunewald also went, as we saw him traveling through the length and the breadth of the country, Eikan Uok said that he had demands of a war. Honorable Meshwe as well went throughout the country, and he will also testify that he has heard our people. Honorable Holomisa did exactly the same, as he also interacted with our people. Honorable Zungula did the same, and Honorable Delil also went through the length and the breadth of the country and listened 
very carefully to our people. Honorable Gola, Honorable Likota did exactly the same as well and he listened. Honorable Nyocho and Honorable Hendricks, all of us went through the country and we listened to our people. And through the elections that we held in May, our people, you all South Africans, provided us with a clear mandate, a mandate that talks about growth, a mandate that talks about renewal. Much as we differed in the way that we delivered our messages to all South Africans, in the end, it was a message about growth and renewal. The persistent legacy of apartheid has left our country with extreme structural problems, both economic and social. At the same time, we are having to contend with rapid technological change that is ushering in a new world of work that is reshaping the global economy and that is redefining social relations. Together with all the nations of the world, we are confronted by the most devastating changes in global climate in human history. The extreme weather conditions associated with the warming of the atmosphere threaten our economy. They threaten the lives and the livelihoods of our people. And unless we act now, we threaten our own very existence. We have heard the voices of young people also who marched to this building, to, to the union buildings rather, last week, urging us to take action to protect our planet. It was to address these fundamental challenges that we adopted the National Development Plan in 2012 to guide our national effort to defeat poverty, unemployment, and inequality. Many of the parties represented here endorsed and embraced the National Development Plan. However, with 10 years to go before we reach 2030, we have not made nearly enough progress in meeting the NDP targets. And unless we take extraordinary measures, we will not realize Vision 2030. This means that we need to prioritize. We need to focus on those actions that will have the greatest impact, actions that will catalyze faster movement forward, both in the immediate term and over the next 10 years. It, was, it is worth noting that the medium-term strategic framework which is a translation of how we read the NDP into government program, for the last five years has had more than 1,100 indicators by which we were to measure progress in the implementation of the NDP. But now is the time to focus on what needs to be done. Now is the time for implementation. And it is for this reason that as we went throughout the country, our people were saying, talking time is over. We now want action. 
We want implementation and we want it now. And it is this that we have to offer our people. It is this that we need to give our people to continue having the hope of a better South Africa that will deliver a better life for them. And it is time to make choices. Some of these choices may be difficult and some of them may not please everyone. In an economy that is not growing at the level where we want it to grow and at a time when public finances are limited, we will not be able to do everything at one time. As we enter this new administration, we will need to focus and we want to focus on seven priorities. Economic transformation and job creation is at the top of our priorities. Education, skills and health is the second. Consolidating the social wage through reliable and quality basic services is another important priority. Special integration, human settlements, and improving local government is another important priority. Social cohesion and safe communities is a key priority as well. And building a capable an ethical and developmental state is an important priority too. And the last one is building a better Africa and a better world. All our programs and policies across all departments and agencies will be directed in pursuit of these overarching tasks that we believe will be able to deliver a better life for all South Africans. At the same time, we must restore the National Development Plan to its place at the center of our national effort to make it alive, to make it part of the lived experience of the people of our country. At the inauguration, we said that this must be seen as a defining moment for our young nation a nation that is facing enormous challenges, but a nation that consists of 57 million people who stood up over the years and defeated one of the most terrible systems ever put together by human beings apartheid. A nation of people with courage, a nation of people who have great commitment. We are the 57 million South Africans who refused to give in, who determined that we are going to change our life and our country for the better. And this is the moment where we are now. We also said that this is the moment where through our actions, now we will be able to determine our destiny. As South African South Africa enters the next 25 years of democracy and in pursuit of the objectives of our national plan, let us proclaim a bold and ambitious goal, a unifying purpose 
to which we dedicate all our resources and our energies. Let us be a people who are prepared to go where we have never been before. Let us be a people who are bold and are prepared to take bold steps to move our country forward. As we enter the last decade of Vision 2030, let us even be more clearly be able to define South Africa to be a South Africa that we want and agree that the concrete actions will be necessary for us to achieve the South Africa we want. To ensure that our efforts are directed, I am suggesting that within the priorities of this administration, we agree on five fundamental goals for the next decade, which are part of these seven priorities. Let us agree as a nation and as a people united in our aspirations that within the next 10 years, we will make progress in tackling poverty, inequality, and unemployment, where no person in South Africa will go hungry. Yes, where no one amongst us, as we look at all our people, will be a person who goes hungry. And this is a bold plan for the next 10 years, and I believe we can achieve it. Our economy, we should declare, should grow at a much faster rate than the growth of our population year by year. We should also be bold enough to say two million more young people will be in employment in the next 10 years. We should also tackle one other important area, which is education where we say, in the next 10 years, we want a South Africa which has better educational outcomes and that every 10-year-old in our country will be able to read for meaning. And where we also say that violent crime will be halved, if not eliminated. Let us make these commitments now to ourselves and to each other, knowing that they will stretch our resources and capabilities, but understanding that if we achieve these goals, we will fundamentally have transformed our country. We set these ambition, ambitious goals, not despite the severe difficulties of the present, but because of them. Honorable Malema, I'm coming to land. We set these goals so that the decisions we take now are bolder and that we should act with greater urgency. Our determination that within the next decade that no person in South Africa will go hungry is fundamental to our effort to eradicate poverty and to reduce inequality as well. In addition to creating employment and other economic opportunities, this means that we must strengthen the social wage and reduce the cost of living. It means we must improve the affordability 
safety and integration of commuter transport and low-income households. While we have made great progress in providing housing, many South Africans, and this we had very clearly as all of us were campaigning during the May elections. Many South Africans still do not have land to build homes and to earn livelihoods. In the next five years, we will accelerate the provision of well-located housing and land to poor South Africans. <clears throat> to improve the quality of life of South Africans, to reduce poverty in all its ramifications and dimensions, and to strengthen our economy, we will also need to attend to the health of our people. We must attend to the capacity as well as the effectiveness of our hospitals and clinics. An 80-year-old grandmother cannot and should not spend an entire day in a queue in a hospital or a clinic waiting for her medication. An ill patient cannot be turned away because there is a shortage of doctors or nurses or even medication in our clinics and hospitals. A woman in labor should not and cannot have her unborn child's life put in danger because the ambulance has just taken too long to arrive. As part of the work that we must do urgently to improve the quality of the health system, we are finalizing the Presidential Health Summit Compact, which draws on the insights and will mobilize the capabilities of all key stakeholders to address the crisis in our clinics and hospitals. We are far advanced in revising the National Health Insurance detailed plan of implementation, including accelerating quality of care initiatives in public facilities, building human resource capacity, establishment of the NHI fund, and the costing of the administration for the fund. We remain concerned about rising HIV infection rates, particularly amongst young women, and the relatively low numbers of men testing for HIV and starting treatment. We will intensify our work to implement the 1990-90 strategy to end HIV as a public health threat, which includes increasing the number of people on treatment by at least another 2 million by December 2020. If we are able to succeed in addressing these challenges, the challenge of poverty across society will be reduced. It is therefore a matter of great concern that there are a number of children of school-going age with disabilities who are not in school. This is a matter that all of us as South Africans should be concerned about. In responding to these challenges,
We have moved the coordination of disability initiatives to the center of government in the presidency. We have revived the presidential working group on disability and will submit the protocol on the rights of persons with disabilities in Africa to Parliament this year for ratification. To address the problems of working poor, the national minimum wage has been in place now for six months, and there are early indications that there are many companies who are now complying. A number of companies have applied for exemptions, but we get indications that a number of companies are indeed complying, which is a pleasing development. The National Wage Commission is expected to conclude research on the impact of the minimum wage on employment, on poverty, inequality, and wage differentials by the end of September this year. We cannot turn our fortunes around without a relentless focus on economic growth. Within the next decade, it is our ambition that our economy should be growing at a far greater rate than our population growth, as I said. It is only when we reach consistently high rates of economic growth that we will be able to reverse the economic damage of our past. We make this assertion at a time when the economic outlook is extremely weak. Now, following the sharp contraction in growth in the first quarter, the Reserve Bank now projects that growth in 2019 is likely to be lower than anticipated in the February budget. Our reason, one reason rather for the lackluster economic performance has been the load shedding early this year, together with the continued uncertainty of the supply of electricity and the state of ESCOM. The lesson is clear. For growth, we need reliable, and sustainable supply of electricity. ESCOM, as we all know, is facing serious financial, operational, and structural problems. Since the load shedding earlier this year, ESCOM has, however, made much progress in implementing their nine-point plan, ensuring better maintenance of its generation fleet, reducing costs as much as they possibly can, and ensuring adequate reserves of coal. Now, in line with the recommendations of both the ESCOM Sustainability Task Team and the Technical Review Team, ESCOM is deploying its most skilled and experienced personnel to where they are needed most. The Deputy President and the Ministers have been working very closely with these task teams to ensure that indeed we do give ESCOM the necessary support. The utilities financial position remains a matter of great concern though. With the current committed funding from the government, which was outlined in the 2019 budget, ESCOM has sufficient cash to meet its obligations until the end of October 2019. 
for ESCOM to default on its loans will cause a cross default on its remaining debt and would have a huge impact on the already constrained fiscus. We will therefore have to address this matter and we will address it by tabling a special appropriation bill on an urgent basis to allocate significant portion of the 230 billion fiscal support that ESCOM will require over the next 10 years in early years. This we must do because ESCOM is too vital to our economy and it cannot be allowed to fail. ESCOM is our collective responsibility as a nation and we must make sure that we support it. Now, further details on this, so that we don't get too excited, will be provided by the Minister of Finance in due course. We will announce as ESCOM carries on to address all these issues, we will announce a new CEO following Mr. Pakamani Hadebe stepping down. He came in at a very difficult time at ESCOM and has done a great deal together with the board that is led by Mr. Jabu Mabuza to stabilize the company. We will soon also be appointing a chief restructuring officer who will be expected to reposition ESCOM financially with careful attention to the mix between revenue, debt, and cost structure of the company. Now, ESCOM is also working with government and other stakeholders to address its broad restructuring plan, which we announced, as well as its overall debt including the debt that is owed by municipalities as well as individuals. As a country, we must assert the principle that those who use electricity must pay for the electricity that they use. <laughs> Failure to pay endangers our entire electricity supply our economy and our efforts to create jobs. Now the days of boycotting payments are over. This is now the time to build and it is the time for all of us to make our contribution. So we call on all our people who use electricity, let us pay up so that ESCOM must continue to do the work that it should do for all South Africans. Now, fellow South Africans and honorable members, to meet our growth targets, we will rebuild the foundations of our economy by revitalizing and expanding the productive sectors of our economy. This requires us to reimagine our industrial strategy, to unleash private investment and energize the state to boost economic inclusion. It requires the state to effectively play its role as an enabler that provides 
infrastructure that provides basic services, a regulator role as well that sets the rules that create equitable opportunities for all players, and a redistributor that ensures that the most vulnerable in society are protected and given a chance to live up to their full potential. But there is another role that we want the state to play, and that is what I would call an, an entrepreneurial role, a role through which the state is able to take some risks and enable the economy to move forward. We will give priority attention to the economic sectors that have the greatest potential for growth. Drawing on our successes in the automotive sector, we will implement master plans developed with business and labor in industries like clothing and textiles, gas, chemicals and plastics, renewables, steel and metals, and fabrication sectors. We're going to substantially expand the agriculture and agro-processing sector by supporting key value chains and products, developing new markets, and reducing our reliance on agricultural imports. We will bolster the mining industry by developing markets for South African minerals through targeted beneficiation, reduced costs of inputs, and increased research and development. Through special interventions like special economic zones, reviving local industrial parks, business centers, digital hubs, and township and village enterprises, we will bring economic development to local areas. We will also focus on small, medium enterprises in our cities, in our townships, and our villages and create marketplaces where entrepreneurs can trade and sell their products. We will make good on our ambition to more than double international tourist arrival to 21 million by 2030. This will be achieved through the renewal of the country's brand, introducing a world-class visa regime and a significant focus on key markets that have the potential of boosting our tourism. Markets such as China, India, and indeed the arrivals from the rest of our continent. We are determined to ensure that tourists who come to our country are safe. We will expand our high-tech industry by ensuring that the legal and regulatory framework promotes innovation, scaling up skills development for young people in new technologies and reducing data costs. Wherever we have gone, young people have continuously raised the issue of the excessive high data costs in South Africa. They want data costs to go down. Now, to provide impetus to this process, within the next month, the Minister of Communications will issue the policy direction to ICASA to commence the spectrum licensing process.
Now, this process obviously will include measures to promote competition, transformation, inclusive growth of the sector, and universal access. This is a vital part of bringing down the costs of data. We call on the telecommunications industry to bring down the cost of data so that it is in line with the pricing that prevails in other markets in the world. We are intensifying our investment drive. Of the 300 billion rand of investments announced at our inaugural investment conference last year, just over 250 billion worth of projects have entered implementation phase. We continue to build a pipeline of investments, which will be showcased at the second South African Investment Conference to be held on, from the 5th to the 7th of November. At a time of uncertainty, the work of the investment envoys that we appointed has built important bridges between government and the business sector. From their feedback, it is clear that much more still needs to be done to improve the investment climate in our country. This includes reviewing the way government coordinates work to resolve challenges that are faced by investors and reforming our investment promotion policy and architecture. Good progress has been made through the public-private growth initiative, which is being championed by Minister Lamini Zuma, Mr. Rulf Meyer, and Dr. Fanseil Slabet. The private sector has committed to invest 840 billion rand in 43 projects over 19 sectors, creating what they've arrived at as 155,000 jobs in the next five years. Now, in discussions with business, government has committed to remove policy impediments and accelerate implementation of these projects. We are urgently working on a set of priority reforms to improve the ease of doing business by consolidating and streamlining regulatory processes, automating permits and other applications and reducing the cost of compliance. Infrastructure, as we all know, is a critical area of investment that supports structural transformation, growth, and job creation. It is essential to our economic rejuvenation, to giving meaning and effect to our new dawn. Our new approach to infrastructure development is based on stronger partnerships between the public and private sector and with local communities. It includes a special package of financial and institutional measures to boost construction and prioritize water infrastructure, roads, student accommodation through a more efficient use of budgeted money. As announced in the previous SONA, government has set aside 
100 billion rand to seed the infrastructure fund. We are working to institutionalize the fund, which will be managed by the Development Bank of South Southern Africa with the newly configured Department of Public Works and Infrastructure playing an oversight role. We've been doing consultation with private investors, such as pension funds, who are enthusiastic about participating in the infrastructure fund that we announced. The reforms that we will embark on will ensure better planning of infrastructure projects, rigorous feasibility and preparatory work, improved strategic management, impeccable execution, and better governance. This will provide a much-needed boost to the construction sector, which has been in the doldrums for quite a while. We will stimulate local demand and grow South African manufacturing by making sure that we encourage everyone to buy local. We call on all South Africans to deliberately and consistently buy locally made goods. Now, to demonstrate this, the suit that I'm wearing today, the tie I am wearing today, the shirt that I'm wearing today. Don't get too ambitious and ask about other things. <laughs> now, this suit was locally made, I'm happy to say, by South African textile workers working at the house of Monatic here in Salt River in Cape Town. Now, if all of us if all of us buy locally made clothes, we will be able to drive up demand, which will inject a lot of growth in our economy. Within this next year, we seek to conclude agreements with retailers to stock more South African goods on their shelves and to actively promote the great products made by South African workers. At the same time, we will promote our products more actively in the rest of our African continent and to the world. These measures are underpinned by our strong commitment to a macroeconomic and fiscal policy framework that will continue to boost confidence and investment. We are committed to prudent borrowing and stringent expenditure management to stabilize our public finances and lower the debt trajectory. The South African Reserve Bank is a critical institution of our democracy, enjoying wide credibility and standing within the country and internationally. Price stability is a necessary but not a sufficient condition for economic growth. Rising prices of goods and services erode the purchasing power of all South Africans, but especially the poor. Inflation further undermines the competitiveness of our exports and our 
imports, competing firms, putting industries and jobs at risk. For these reasons, our constitution mandates the South African Reserve Bank to protect the value of our currency in the interests of balanced and sustainable growth. Today, we reaffirm this constitutional mandate, which the Reserve Bank must pursue independently without fear, favor, or prejudice. Our Constitution also requires that, listen carefully, our Constitution also requires that there should be regular consultation between the Reserve Bank and the Minister of Finance to do what? To promote macroeconomic coordination in all the interests, all rather all in the interests of employment creation and economic growth. Now, if we are to be internationally competitive, if we are to attract investment, we must address the high costs of doing business in South Africa and complicated and lengthy regulatory processes. We must reach a point where no company should need to wait for more than six months for a permit or a license and new companies should be able to be registered within a day. We will continue to reduce the cost of doing business by reducing port export tariffs, lowering costs of electricity generation options. Guided by the NDP, it is our responsibility to pursue inclusive, sustainable development that is resilient in the face of climate change. Working in partnership with the private sector, with labor and the international community, we will step up our adaptation and mitigation efforts. We have the opportunity to be at the forefront of the green growth, of low carbon industrialization, of pioneering new technologies and taking quantum leaps towards the economy of the future. We must increase the contribution of renewable and clean energy to our national energy mix and explore the potential of the hydrogen economy as well. Faster economic growth also requires accelerated land reform in rural and urban areas and a clear property rights regime. We have received the report of the Presidential Advisory Panel on Land Reform that was being led by the Deputy President, which will now be presented to Cabinet for consideration. The panel's recommendations will inform the finalization of a comprehensive, far-reaching and transformative land reform program. In the immediate term, Government will accelerate efforts to identify and release public land that is suitable for smart urban settlements as well as for farming. 
In the stimulus and recovery package announced last year, we promised the, to prioritize funding for emerging farmers. Over the medium-term budget period, 3.9 billion rand has been allocated to the land bank to support black commercial farmers. An essential part of South Africa's growth strategy is the integration of our economy with those of our neighbors and the rest of our continent. The Africa Continental Free Trade Area will improve the movement of goods and services as well as capital and means of production across the continent. Our revitalized industrial strategy focuses on the expansion of our trade and investment links with Southern Africa as well as the continent at large. Within the SADC region, we will prioritize development of cross-border value chains in key sectors such as energy, mining, mineral beneficiation, manufacturing, infrastructure, and agro-processing. Now, the growth of our economy will have little value unless it creates employment on a far greater scale. The fact that the unemployment rate among young people is more than 50% is essentially a national crisis. It's a crisis that demands urgent, innovative, coordinated solutions where all of us should see it as a requirement that we should work together. And because more young people are entering the labor force every year, the economy needs to create far more jobs for the youth than it currently does. The brutal reality is that when it comes to youth unemployment, we have to run just to remain in the same place. It is therefore essential that we proceed without delay to implement a comprehensive plan driven and coordinated from the presidency to create no fewer than two million new jobs for young people within the next decade. This plan will work across government departments and all three tiers of government in partnership with the private sector. We are already working with the private sector to create pathways into work for young people through scaling up existing pathway management networks. These are networks that allow young people who opt in increased visibility, network support, and opportunities to signal their availability for jobs and self-employment. They make sure that young people from poor households, and young women in particular, are empowered to take up the new opportunities. Government will continue to provide employment through the expanded public works program, especially in labor-intensive areas like maintenance, clearing vegetation, plugging water leaks, and constructing roads. We will continue to develop programs to ensure that economically excluded young people are work-ready and are absorbed into sectors where jobs demand is growing. 
These sectors include global business processing services, agricultural value chains, technical installation, repair and maintenance, and new opportunities provided through the digital economy and the fourth industrial revolution. Government will also ensure that young people are employed in the social economy. We will expand the National Youth Service to take on 50,000 young people a year. Now, government will support tech-enabled platforms for self-employed young people in rural areas and townships. We will expand our programs to enable young people to gain paid workplace experience through initiatives like the Youth Employment Service and also facilitating work-based internships. We're going to roll out small business incubation centers throughout the country to provide youth-driven startups with financial and technical advice as they begin their journeys. Now, yesterday I had the great privilege to meet and engage in dialogue with several young South Africans who are doing simply amazing work to build our country and develop our economy. They are entrepreneurs and community builders and activists and artists. If there is one thing we have learned from our engagement with this country's youth, it is that we cannot impose solutions on them. Everything that has to be done must be led by young people themselves. They have told us very clearly what they want and what they also need. They want to be employed, yes, but they also want to become employers. They are brimming with ideas and they are at the forefront of innovation and they want to do things for themselves. They have we have to support the fire of entrepreneurship that resides in them because the fortunes of this country depend on the energies and the creative talent of young people. If we are to ensure that within the next decade, every 10-year-old will be able to read for meaning, we will need to mobilize the entire nation behind a massive reading campaign. Every reading, early reading rather, is the basic foundation that determines a child's educational progress through school, through higher education, and into the workplace. All foundation and intermediate phase teachers are to be trained to teach reading in English and other African languages, and we are training and deploying a cohort of experienced coaches to provide high-quality on-site support to our teachers. This forms part of the broader effort to strengthen the basic education system by empowering school leadership teams, improving the capabilities of teachers, and ensuring a more consistent measurement of progress for grades 3, 6, and 9. We also have to prepare our young people 
for the jobs of the future. That is why we are introducing subjects like coding and data analytics at a primary level school. The South Africa we want is a country where all people are safe and feel safe. Let us therefore work together to ensure that violent crime is at least half by the next decade. The first step is to increase police visibility by employing more police women and men and also to create a more active role for citizens through effective community policing forums. Currently, there are 5,000 students registered for basic training in our police training colleges, and we envisage that this number will increase to 7,000 per cycle over the next two intakes. We are working to improve success rates in investigating and prosecuting crimes and to ensure better training and professionalism throughout the criminal justice system. Violent crime, as we all know, is a societal problem that requires a society-wide response. We are working with civil society organizations to end gender-based violence and femicide. Following intensive consultations and engagements, we are working towards the establishment of a gender-based violence and femicide council and a national strategic plan that will guide all of us wherever we are in our efforts to eradicate this national scourge. We are capacitating and equipping the police as well as the court system to support survivors of gender-based violence. We are stepping up the fight against drug syndicates through the implementation of the national anti-gang strategy and the revised national drug master plan. The achievement of all these objectives naturally requires a capable and developmental state. This is a state that not only provides the institutions and infrastructure that enable the economy and society to operate, but that has the means to drive the transformation that we need. Earlier this month, we announced the reconfiguration of a number of government departments to enable them to deliver on their mandates. Our decision was premised on efficiency, cost containment, cooperative governance, and strategic alignment. This is the start of a wider process of arresting the decline in state capacity and restructuring our model of service delivery so that it best serves the citizens of our country. We will be adopting a district-based approach focusing on the 44 districts and the eight metros in our country to speed up service delivery ensuring that municipalities are properly supported and adequately resourced as well. To ensure, to ensure that the state is able to effectively 
enable economic and social development, it is essential that we strengthen our state-owned enterprises. Now, through the Presidential SOE Council, government intends to create alignment between all state-owned companies and to better define their respective mandates. Through the Council, we will work with the leadership of the SOEs in the form of their boards and their CEOs to develop a legal and regulatory environment that promotes innovation and agility and enhances their competitiveness. We will build on the work we have already begun to address problems of poor governance, inefficiency and financial sustainability. We are committed to building an ethical state in which there is no place for corruption, patronage, rent-seeking, and the plundering of public money. We want a core of skilled and professional public servants of the highest moral standards and dedicated to public service. The decisive steps we have taken to end state capture and fight corruption, including measures to strengthen the NPA, the SIU, SARS, and state security are achieving important results. But there is still much more work that we need to do. We have asked the National Director of Public Prosecutions to develop a plan to significantly increase the capacity and effectiveness of the NPA, including to ensure effective asset seizure or forfeiture. We need to ensure that public money stolen is returned and used to deliver services and much needed basic infrastructure. We expect that the new SIU Special Tribunal will start work within the next few months to fast-track civil claims arising from SIU investigations, which are currently estimated to be around 14.7 billion rand. On our relations with the world, South Africa will continue to play an active role in the quest for global peace and security, a people-centered development and prosperity for all. We renew our determination to work in concert with the international community to preserve and protect the rule-based multilateral system with the United Nations at its head. We will use our membership of the UN Security Council to promote the peaceful resolution of disputes, particularly on our own continent. If we are to achieve the South Africa that we want, we need a new social compact. We need to forge durable partnerships between government, business, labor, and civil society. This places a responsibility on each one of us. Government must create an enabling environment. It must use public resources wisely 
and invest in developing the country's human capital. We would like business to consider the country's national strategic objectives and social considerations in their decisions and in the commercial actions that they embark upon. We agree that labor should advance the interests of workers while at the same time promoting the sustainability of businesses and the creation of jobs. Civil society needs to continue to play its role in holding government to account, but must also join us in practical actions to attain our common goals. We look to parties in this parliament to be a vital part of this partnership, lending support, insights, coming up with practical solutions, and all this being done in the national interest. This social compact requires a contribution from everyone. It will also need sacrifices and trade-offs. It is upon the conduct of each that the fate of all of us depends. If we are to reinvigorate the implementation of the National Development Plan, we must cast our sights on the broadest of horizons. We want a South Africa where in all enjoy comfort and prosperity. But we also want a South Africa where we will stretch our capacities to the fullest and where we advance along the superhighway of progress. We want a South Africa that has prioritized its rail networks and is producing high-speed trains connecting our megacities and the remotest areas of our country. We should imagine a country where a bullet train passes through Johannesburg as it travels to Messina and it stops in Buffalo City on the way from Etequini to here in Cape Town. Yes, we want a South Africa with a high-tech economy where advances in e-health, in robotics, and remote medicine are applied as we roll out the national health insurance. What type of South Africa do we want? We want a South Africa that does not simply export its raw materials, but has become a manufacturing hub for key components used in electronics, in automobiles and in computers. We want a country also that can feed itself, that harnesses the latest advances in smart agriculture. Now I dream of a South Africa where the first entirely new city built in the democratic era rises with skyscrapers, schools, universities, hospitals and factories. This dream that I have has been fueled by conversations that I've had with four wonderful people. Dr. Kosazana Damini Zuma, Dr. Naledi Pando, Ms. Jessie Duarte, 
President Xi Jinping of China, whose account of a China that is now building a new city 100 kilometers from Beijing. Now, that has helped to fuel the dream that I have. This is a dream that we can all share and participate in building. Now, what we have not done since the dawn of democracy is we have not built a brand new city in the last 25 years. 75% of South Africans are going to be living in urban areas by 2030. The cities of Johannesburg, Swane, Cape Town, and Etequini are running out of space to accommodate all those who throng to the cities. Has the time not arrived for us to be bold, to reach beyond ourselves, and do what we believe is impossible? Has the time not arrived to build a new smart city founded on the technologies of the fourth industrial revolution? Now, I would like to invite, I would like to invite South Africans. Yes, where and when. Now, listen carefully. I would like to invite South Africans to begin imagining this prospect. We are the South African nation that with its constitution gives hope to the hopeless, rights to the dispossessed and marginalized. Though we may have faltered, we have not forgotten. We are still that nation. You may ask why I am hopeful. I am hopeful about the many things that we can create, the many things that we can build. I am hopeful because I have worked with the people of this country, the nurses, the health workers, our men and women in uniform, the teachers in our schools, the students who, despite their families' hardships, are determined to succeed, and the youth who are trying to start their own businesses to invent and create and to rise above their circumstances. If you who give me courage, the people of this country, are able to have dreams, these are dreams and expectations that our people have. What do our people dream of? They dream of a better life for all South Africans. They dream of a life where their children will be able to get an education and a job. They dream, many South Africans dream of starting their own businesses. Now working together, there is nothing that we cannot achieve. There is nothing that we cannot do. And there is nothing 
that is impossible to us. Now, all this remains with the doers. The doers who are able to get the work done. The doers who are able to have a clear intent on what needs to be done. The people who don't sit by the sidelines and criticize and just scream and shout. Yes, it is these people who fuel, who inspire the people of South Africa. They are the people who look up to those who are able to look forward and see a South Africa that is successful. South Africa Africa chipembe heinoni yashu bakotoda uri ye panda even amvera panda ine yadobonwanga bathu bothe now as we enter this new era an era where we are determined to implement the plans that i have outlined where we are also prepared to imagine a future which may seem impossible right now where we are able to imagine things that are impossible. This is the South Africa that we must go for. This is the South Africa that should fuel us, inspire us, and make us move forward. Now, let us take to heart the words of Ben Okri when he says, will you be at the harvest among the gatherers of new fruits? then you must begin today to remake your mental and spiritual world and join the warriors and celebrants of freedom, the realizers of great dreams. You can't remake the world without remaking yourself. It is indeed when you can imagine this South Africa that we are seeking to build that you can remake yourself. He continues to say, each new era begins within. It is an inward event with unsuspected possibilities for inner liberation. We could use it to turn on our inward lights. We could use it to use even the dark and negative things positively. We could use the new era to clean our eyes, to see the world differently, to see ourselves more clearly. Only free people can make a free world. Infect the world with your light, help fulfill the golden prophecies, press forward the human genius that resides within you. Our future is greater than our past. Close quotes. <laughs> Fellow South Africans, it is this that in the time of challenge, 
that we've got to start imagining. It is this at a time when our country faces great challenges that we've got to look beyond the horizon and see a South Africa with a growing economy, see a South Africa with our young people employed, and see a South Africa that is winning, a South Africa that is determined to move forward. Now, all I want to end by saying is that this is the South Africa that our people yearn for. This is the South Africa that all South Africans have said they want to see. Let us go on and build this South Africa. Thank you very much.